Cause the idea is if you could do anything in the gym that was specific to your sport, technically you're saying that without even playing the sport, you would get better at it, right? Because if standing on a BOSU ball doing a shoulder press was specific to baseball, you're suggesting that I could improve somewhat at least in my baseball performance by just doing that exercise. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about it. Apart from that, we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is Dr. Max, and I am here with Dr. Troy Cuck. What's going on, guys? Future Dr. Tyler Boyd. What's going on, guys? And we are joined today by Master Rob Rabina. How are we doing, everyone? You have a master's degree, right? I do have a master's degree. So I'm, I am you? technically considered a master. Though. Okay, so we are joined by Sounds Master. Sounds cool than doctor. It does. <laughs> We're joined by Master Rabina, and uh, Rob. For those who've been around for quite some time, would know that Rob is the head strength conditioning coach here at uh, Maple Zone Sports Institute, which is kind of the the partner, if you will, of Precision, at least here in Garnet Valley. Um, and Rob is someone who we coordinate care with a lot because a lot of his athletes are former patients and a lot of our patients are some of his former or current athletes uh, just as the nature of things go with sports and competition um, but we wanted to bring Rob on partly because he hasn't been on the podcast in quite some time and get people to kind of know him again and so we're just going to kind of go a little bit more casual on this one and just kind of round robin fire some questions away at Rob and see if we can squeeze any rants out of him is essentially what we're looking for. Rob, you are on the hot seat. I'm ready. Rob, uh, give, give the people a very brief synopsis of your background, what you do now. Yeah, I mean, my background um, from a schooling standpoint, uh, I have an undergrad in exercise science. I have a master's degree in exercise science as well. And through that uh, schooling process, you know, I've interned lots of hours at various facilities, locations, doing different things in fitness, strength and conditioning, personal training, um, group fitness, working with lots of different people um, in all different settings, you know, college, uh, group fitness, all this, you know, just trying a lot of different things, seeing what I liked and, um, you know, realized I really liked training baseball players and ended up training baseball at, at uh, East Stroudsburg and did some research on the baseball team and um, interned at Cressy Performance, which was is, which is more of a baseball training facility as well, and uh, have been here at MSI for about seven and a half years, and right now I'm pretty much um, in charge of getting people better. You didn't play baseball though, right? I mean, I played in high school, but I wasn't very good. Okay. I so think I threw like 70 poo. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like the 30th time I've heard Rob say that joke. It's not good. It's not good. I wasn't good. Um, it's a good joke. Was it because you never had a coach like yourself? Yes. I was 5'10", 130 pounds. Didn't work out. 
didn't know what to do. I played basketball and just played basketball and baseball, and, you know, that was it. What would current Rob, if he had just a passing, fleeting moment with former Rob, the 130-pound uh, mundane baseball player, you're at Starbucks, you're in line, you're waiting for your grande vanilla frap, and uh, your former self is waiting for his venti green tea frap, and you know you just strike up a conversation. You find out he plays baseball. You're a strength conditioning coach at a well-known facility, lots of pro athletes. What are you going to tell the young Rob? Yeah, I mean, like I tell a lot of my other younger athletes, it's, you know, hey, you just got to live in the weight room. You got to lift weights, eat, eat more food. And, and if you want to be good at a sport, especially like baseball, you have to be good at, this, at the skill of baseball. So you have to train the skill of baseball, whether it's throwing, hitting, um, and then live in the weight room, especially if you're more of a skinny guy that has no power, has no strength, and doesn't move well. So are you saying that standing single leg on a BOSU ball with a dumbbell and a band in your right hand strapped to a pole behind you does not improve you at the skill of baseball? That's correct. Okay. That's exactly what I heard. That's correct. That's what you guys heard too, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's not something good that you should, should be doing. Uh, we just did a podcast on sports specificity. That's kind of what we talked about where – a lot of folks will try to bring the skill of baseball or the skill of their sport into the gym and make their exercises look just like their sport mm -hmm. to try to, I don't know what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it specific. They're trying to make it more similar because right. they think the transfer will be inherently right. better that way. Maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe there's not. But what are, what's your, what are your thoughts on kind of the sports specificity inside the yeah. weight room for your athletes? No, I mean, that's a great question. Um, when I hear like sports specificity and people are like, oh yeah, Rob, you train baseball players or, you know, Rob, hey, you train a lot of pros. Like you must do a lot of baseball specific things. Uh, yes and no. I think probably the, the way to think about it is you have to like shift your mindset away from like, you know, I'm training the sport of baseball to, you know, I'm training the individual in front of me and that person is going to have, you know, different goals, different backgrounds, different injury history. And you have to identify those baseline goals, measures, you know, their range of motion, their, their uh, you know, speed and agility numbers, their strength, uh, their fitness level. And your goal as the coach is to come up with the best program to improve in those, in those measures. Um, and you also have to understand the demands of the sport, though. So that's where I think the sports specificity kind of comes into play. Where it's like, hey, like, you know, the qualities of throwing a baseball, like, you have to be pretty explosive. Um, so you have to be able to throw a five-ounce five baseball as hard as you can. Um, so there's lots of qualities that you can test that are required to throw a five-ounce baseball as hard as you can. So it's my job to improve in those qualities that help someone perform well in the field. I think, too, um, it kind of comes into play the whole risk versus rewards factor, too, when you're talking about um, specificity with sports, too. I've heard you mention a few times, you know, you don't see soccer players just crushing squats and crushing their quads to get, you know, to run faster, to be more agile. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, again, like, you know, what, why is this person here and what are they trying to do? So if the person comes to the gym to work out, you have to, again, I have to understand the goals and I have to understand the sport. Um, again, like, you know, if you are training an athlete that plays, you know, football or soccer, 
you know, those two sports are going to be drastically different. I'm not saying you have to be as super specific. A lot of general training works for a lot of people. So, and that's what, that's pretty much what strength conditioning is. It's, it's, it's mostly general, general training, you know, sports specificity is literally just training of the sport. You can't get more specific than actually training for the sport. You know, that's the skill development. So, um, I look at it as like skill development and then strength conditioning, you know, to kind of simplify what we do is just general training. Yeah, that, that's the way I always think about it too. Like, yeah, I like to use the analogy of, of baking a cake where some of the, the ingredients of the cake are the physical qualities that you require, whether that's power, you know, strength, uh, endurance, and the actual cake once baked is your sport performance. But having an ingredient available to you doesn't inherently give you a cake. Right, just being strong doesn't make you good at your sport. No. But your cake may be better at the end if you had certain ingredients in it to start. Where if you were a little bit stronger, then in your skill training for baseball, maybe you end up with a, a faster pitch because you had better starting ingredients that allowed you to bake a better cake. The ingredients aren't the cake even though they, they compose of it. But you still need to go through the actual mixing process, cooking, boom, and, and, and finish it off with your sport thing. Because the idea is, if you could do anything in the gym that was specific to your sport, technically you're saying that without even playing the sport, you would get better at it, right? Because if standing on a BOSU ball doing a shoulder press was specific to baseball, you're suggesting that I could improve somewhat at least in my baseball performance by just doing that exercise. And I think that most people would say that that's not true. And so then it comes down to why would you mess up your, your shoulder exercise by making it so complicated Then you're not even going to get at the ultimate goal, which is like, I just want a stronger shoulder maybe, or I just wanted to do address this thing. Um, but one of the challenges I think in, PT with some of the proxy measures, like you mentioned, someone comes in, you measure them for certain things that you think are probably related to their performance, and then you try to improve those things in hopes that that transfers to their performance. Um, in PT, that'll often happen where it's like someone comes in and we measure their range of motion, their strength, their blah, 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 blah. And we think that these things are going to correlate to them having less pain if we improve them, right? We address these impairments. In sports, it can be, to some degree, the same thing, right? Improving someone's vertical doesn't obviously directly make them a better basketball player. Do you have a hard time picking, like, objective tests and measures to look for improvements on in the post-testing to make sure that they improve in their sport? Like, is that... How do you pick whether you're going to test a broad jump or a right. triple jump for a baseball player? Right, and that's a great question. And that's where I always – my post-testing is their throwing velocity. Like that's how we track if my programs are getting better, essentially, because that's why they're working out is to improve their baseball velocity. So if their baseball velocity isn't improving, then something has to change. It doesn't matter if their broad jump went up or down pretty much irrelevant yeah it's always great if the ball jump goes up but it's not going to directly translate if the velocity isn't going up right so to answer your question the best test is to like actually t 
test the skill. How so do you do that of, with a, like a, a basketball player, though? I know obviously that's not the, baseball; right. it's pitching. Yeah, right. How do you other sports? It's so hard to quantify. Like a linebacker, did right. you play better? Right. I, I mean, other sports, I would probably just rely on the general performance testings. Yeah. You know your your basic agility test, your power test, um, and your strength tests, and you know that's really all that you have, unfortunately. To, to tell, at least from a strength conditioning side, I'm sure there's a lot of, if you talk to a linebacker coach, like I'm sure there's, you know, ways that they can look and measure and see if someone is covering more ground or, you know, attacking faster, whatever it might be. I think some of it comes down to like the subjective and the athlete's goals too. So they're going to come to you. They're going to have specific goals for the weight room, right? They're going to want to run faster, jump higher, be able to dunk or just you know, right. be better at football, whatever right. the course may be. And then some of it's asking them to just be like, all right, we tested all of these objective things. You had, um, you're halfway through your season, you know, how do you feel like it's been going? Do you feel like you're able to mm-hmm. kind of, you're more powerful on mm-hmm. the football field? Are you able to manhandle some, some linemen now kind of yep. more subjective? Yeah, I definitely think there's a place for subjective. That's actually an area of strength conditioning that for, for PT it's, it's developing, right? We think that, for example, a construct of fear, right? We want to know, is someone afraid of movement related to their low back pain? We can think that we assess that well, but we don't assess that very well. Therefore, we bring in measures. And this has been, Troy's laughing because this has been a topic of conversation recently. But the reality is, like, we don't measure subjective things very well, right? You ask your patients or your athletes how they feel. You'd like to think that the answer that they give you is really bottom of the heart honesty, but sometimes you just need to dig a little bit deeper. And I don't know in strength conditioning, how, how common is it for athletes, strength conditioning coaches, they love to have people come in and like, let's test your, I know one coach, like let's test your max grip strength every day you come in to measure or your heart rate variability or this and that. I don't really see strength coaches talking about subjective stuff of like, hey, you're going to come in and fill out this the questionnaire about, you know, fatigue, how you feel. And we kind of saw that yesterday, Max, when we had a patient who came in here and she was just dealing with some back pain. And throughout the evaluation, you're talking to her, she's pretty upbeat. Um, If you asked her, like, do you think your back pain would get better? You would think she would say, yeah, I think it would get better. But then we looked at the outcome measure that she filled out and that exact question was on the outcome measure and it said do you think your back pain would get better and she said no and that's why that's something i don't think she ever would have told us that in person yeah i mean it certainly didn't give you the impression that like i need to ask this person about how confident they are in managing their back pain but i even think like when they do when they do some research on heart rate variability what are they comparing that to? Sometimes they do compare that to what they consider their gold standard, you know, subjective assessment of a, of an athlete's fatigue. But I don't, I don't know of any strength co- like. Yeah, no strength coach. Have you ever thought about that. doing that? No, they're not. No, no. And I think partly, partly because we want every day to be a good day, essentially. Always want wins in the gym. Always want wins. Every day is a good day. Every day is uplifting. Every day is positive. Whether you're having a bad day or not, I'm going to make your day better. That's how, that's how I think fitness and strength coaches look at people yeah. coming to the gym. You know, it's more of a positive, encouraging, 
uplifting environment and or at least that's how i look at it and that's what we want everyone to do yeah rob i actually have a question for you so you do train a lot um of kids of all ages right yes what would be like the ideal age to have a kid start training um i mean that's a hard question for baseball for baseball let's just say like we'll keep it for baseball. right yeah i mean yeah even like regardless of the sport um I think like things that I look for in someone beginning a structured exercise program um, are just like the mental makeup to like understand why they're in the gym, you know, what they want to work on. They can follow instructions. Um, they understand like proper gym etiquette and, you know, can, you know, just follow instructions really. Um, look at it as like not recess and not a game. Um, so once you can do those things confidently, that person's ready to exercise. That can be age 14. That could be age 11. Yeah. That could so it's be 12. more of a maturity thing so than it is a physical thing. Definitely more of a maturity yeah. thing because, you know, again, I've trained 10-year-olds that are fantastic in the gym yeah. and love it. And I've trained 13-year-olds that have no business in the gym. Yeah. Um, you know, having said that, there is a lot of um, good research on some LTAD training and there is some developmental stages that, like, they recommend uh, someone goes through before they start to develop certain qualities. Um, so a lot of the youth athletes, your you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds need to develop these like basic, you know, calisthenics of like skipping, crawling, running, throwing, uh, jumping qualities. So a lot of that is developed at that ages. And if someone starts too early and they just go right to strength and you can't do that, that could definitely be problematic down the road, in my opinion. Because this year you started the PDP Light, which is right. essentially kids, I'd say, elementary school age? Yep, so it's, yep, it's younger athletes, mm -hmm. you know, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, yeah. where they're doing some introductory baseball skill training, learning how to throw, learning how to play catch, learning how to field ground balls. Um, and then they, we do about 20 minutes of hitting throwing and then 20 minutes of some LTAD training. And the LTAD training for the youth athletes is pretty much obstacle courses, games, uh, very low, um, you know, control over what's happening, low structure, um, very open loops. So athletes can explore movements, have fun, and be engaged in, in improving their fitness. Here's a question that made me think of. If, if one of those athletes comes to you and says that they love baseball, they want baseball to essentially be their sport, and they want to be the best that they can possibly be, What's the conversation you have with them or maybe their parents, obviously, to some degree as well, mm -hmm. around specializing mm -hmm. in that one sport at, yep. at the age that they're at? This is a great question because this is very controversial, and I think my opinion might be controversial on this oh, one. Man. Because, in my opinion, if you start too late for baseball, you're going to suck. You're not going to be good. What's you too late? If you start to train for baseball and you're in eighth grade, maybe a freshman, you're going to stick. Because a lot of the things, especially with baseball, you get these anatomical performance yes. adaptations yes. where if you start later on in the development, development process, you right. may not be able to get those adaptations right. to really make you an elite level. Well, and realistically, starting anything around fresh, if you're truly starting around freshman right, year, correct. you're, you're probably about. never going to be correct. Even I think that that should be fairly uncontroversial for any sport. Like if you start right. when you're 15, right. 
you're probably not going to make it. And by start, I mean like tr- like training, like so, doing yeah, extra stuff. That's what I was going to just ask. like showing up to practice. So if if you're if you're seven, and you say I don't want to do anything but play baseball, mm-hmm. is that problematic to you in any way, or is that like all yeah. right, let's 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 hammer the baseball I training? Mean, I have a good story for you. Remind me to share that with you in a second. But to answer your question, uh, is that problematic? Potentially, because there could be some burnout on the athlete side of, you know, starting training too young. So when they actually get to a time when they need to do training when they're 13, 12, 14 years old, we're going to see some good introductory strength conditioning activities. Um, They don't want to be there because they were already there for three years. So my hesitation with starting a structured strength conditioning program um, too early is is burnout. Do you think the ones that start at the age of eight to specialize actually want to no i feel like that that is often a a parent driven thing and then they get to the age of 14 and they're finally like okay you know what i need to start speaking up for myself and a lot of times it's like no i don't really want to do this but now the parents are 30 grand deep Mm -hmm. in training and Mm -hmm. camps and things like that Mm -hmm. and and it's not a true burnout it's just they have always right they never wanted to do invested yeah correct Correct. But my uh, quick story is I uh, worked with an athlete when he was, uh, I think, I think 11 or 12. Um, and we, you know, we did a couple months of training and he, he was into it, and, you know, and now he's a freshman in high school and he's a really good baseball player. Not saying because he did training with me or whatever he's done. Like he's just been very dedicated and he still is to this day um, about always improving his ability. So you know, and he was and he was always talented. You can see it when he was eleven. Like he was a good he was a good athlete. He was a good he was a good ball player. So you talked earlier about the whole long term athletic development, just kind of exploring movements and being exposed to a lot of different positions mm-hmm. and everything for our youth athletes. Do mm-hmm. you feel like, you know, the risk rewards like is that a large risk? specializing that young and losing all of these different movement patterns that you would see if the kid played soccer, mm-hmm. basketball, baseball, right. whatever. So yeah, back to the early specialization. Like I do think like if you want to be good at a sport, you have to be, you have to like practice the sport and be good at it. Um, having said that, like a lot of coaches and, you know, college coaches be like, Oh, I want like my two or three sport athlete. You know, um, I think that's, in, I think that's more important when you are younger when you are 12, 13, 14, maybe 15 years old, once you get to that like JV level, like you don't need to play multiple sports because really all that that other sport is giving you is just qualities. Qualities being aerobic fitness, power, jumping, change direction, rotational power, you know, that you don't get in, you know, basketball that you get in baseball. So you just get all those other qualities, but that's not actually making you a better baseball player. And all of those qualities are things that you could work on Correct. in the weight room. And yeah, with way less risk, way less Correct. baggage. Correct. I mean, the, the pendulum swings to the other side right. where you have, like, you have a patient who's like, ah, I just messed up my back and I'm at the tail end of my you know, wrestling season, mm-hmm. but football season's about to start. And, um, and then I have, I have another thing starting after, what is it, reverse? Yeah, I, I was thinking. After oh, it was uh, lacrosse. <laughs> Sorry, I have wrestling, and then I have lacrosse right after that's starting. And um, 
you know, you, you end up in these situations where the person's played like four different full seasons for four different sports mm-hmm. all in, in yeah. one year. And they like to smash weights and, mm-hmm. and, and do that on the side too. So mm-hmm. then you end up just running on mm-hmm. red for a full year and you're like not actually getting the rest that, that you probably need at, at a certain point when you take those off seasons yep. to build. Um, yeah, I just, I, I feel like it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation because it, it is difficult from a rehab perspective sometimes to have those conversations with athletes because the parents and the athletes themselves view you as someone who is putting their health first, which mm-hmm. they sometimes don't like because they right. want to put their performance first. Right. And sometimes it's the coach who's like, hey, uh, if not specializing right now might actually help your performance in the long run. And we think the same thing. We're just thinking of it in terms of, hey, if you don't end up with these kind of cumulative injuries, you're probably in a better spot to perform. Right. And the, real, the, the reality is like the, the top athletes in any given sport, a lot of times they, they, they were pretty elite in a couple of sports up until high school. And then at high school, they just decided. I mean, there's still all the time a quarterback who's also, you know, a really high-level baseball pitcher who's in college deciding, do I want to go NFL or do I want to go MLB? Like, that's not that uncommon to happen. And sometimes I'm like, these, these athletes are so good. They're so gifted that as long as you've been doing it for a while, like if you really have NFL linebacker genetics – man, you're probably going to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. you just have to do some stuff and you're probably mm-hmm. going to get there. Yeah. Like I had a, I had a high school kid who was committed to a pretty high D1 school. Um, you know, his parents were multi-sport athletes in high school. And you know, this kid could have been a maybe draft guy this year, probably not, but he chose to play a winter sport. And um, that winter sport took away from his off-season baseball training. So, hey, I'm not saying he could have gained two miles an hour with, you know, another 12 weeks of training, but he could have. And what if that two, two miles an hour took him from a borderline draft guy to a no-doubter making 800 k to a million dollars this year? Yeah. And, and it is always a risk-reward thing, mm-hmm. like you said. Like, sometimes minimizing injury risk isn't actually your goal. Your goal is to throw as hard as possible. And right. you're willing to – I mean, there's that stat, and I've said it before, of like four out of five – three out of five Olympic athletes say that they would for a gold medal guarantee their death within five years. Mm -hmm, And it's mm -hmm. like, most of them are like, yep, I'm in gold medal. I'll die within the next five years. It's like, what? So risk, risk reward is, is a different equation for a lot of athletes sometimes. Yeah. Rob, uh, I have another one for you that I've been meaning to ask. So Tyler, this past weekend was at a bachelor party in AC and he was down on the beach and he was ripping some uh, sand workouts, and wow! And uh, he, he brought boy. it to our attention. I'll be lucky I'm here, right? <laughs> so, uh, and and this kind of brought up the idea of a lot of these things that we see on on Instagram, and just like these things that are gaining popularity. Basically, new ways to train, new things that you see in the weight room, and with strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on on some of these like sand sprint training, the water bags, mm-hmm. um, all the BOSU ball stuff? Just kind of like the the fancy new training techniques. 
Well, first of all, Todd, did you have your shirt off while you were working out? Dude, I went full Bobby Beans. I love it. Backwards, <laughs> backwards hat. I love it. Cut off shirt just for you, man. It's good. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, the sand training is 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 okay. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't use it too often. Um, don't think it does a good job of you know replicating the mechanics, the biomechanics of like what's required to actually change direction. Um, you know, so again, if you're like going to train something, it should be somewhat close to what you're actually going to be doing in the, in the sport sometimes. So when, especially when it comes to like agility training, um, so if you're like doing agility in the sand, like probably shouldn't be doing that. Um, you know, and again, like if someone, if like a new exercise pops up, you know, you, you always have to like put your blinders up and just say, Hey, like, you know, what is this exercise doing? Um, you know, how do I know to give this exercise to someone? I think that's a big one. Like. You know, what, what tests or like what reasons do I have to program this exercise for this person at this time? Um, you know, and then how do I know that this exercise is working? So like, is it trackable? Sometimes that's a, that's a big one, right? Um, and then like, is it, can you like test it? Like, am I seeing improvements in whatever this exercise is giving me? If you can't, then that's, a, that's another problem. So those are very vague like res responses to like your question, but that's kind of how I look at new exercises. I'm not like pushing away new exercises because like, hey, like who doesn't love new exercises? Like mm -hmm. we all want to keep things fresh and fun and entertaining for people. Um, but you know, having said that, at the same time, like you have to still be a scientist and like still understand the physiology, you know, still understand the biomechanics of like the sport, what's required, understand the, the physiology and biomechanics of the exercise. And um, if those things all kind of line up and it works and you can track it and you can get better from it, I'm all for it. Um, but if it doesn't make sense and it doesn't check a lot of boxes, then I'm not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see like, I think sand training gets a hard rap for like, it's just a bad rap because it's, you got to look at the whole picture, right? We get these little snippets of like guys doing these sand training workouts in the florida weather nice weather shirt off right but that's like that could be a saturday morning little conditioning aerobic right. circuit for them right? right what are they doing the rest of the week i'm sure they're getting their strength training in. i'm sure they're doing their speed and agility on the field but i mean obviously i'm not i don't think sand training is He's defending good. himself. Yeah. For, no, I'm saying like Did they're good. Did you get faster from this weekend? No. <laughs> no, there's no – if you want to improve speed and agility, right, sand training is not going to do it. You want to get faster at sprinting, let's work on sprinting on the surface that you are going to perform that sport on, right? Would you agree with that? I agree. Right? I agree. Yeah, I agree. exactly. It's like, but to it's me, like, it's, like squat, it's like doing a barbell back squat on a BOSU ball. It's just like you're, it was going to be a good strength exercise and then you kind of ruined it. Right. It's like these agility drills, they were going to train you for a sport and then you kind of just messed it up by right. doing it on sand. It's also just but wildly like if impractical. If it's like an aerobic day on Saturday, you know, after they did a hard week in the gym, like, yeah. sure, you know, go rip <laughs> the sand, you know, whatever. You're framing it in the context <laughs> of you could pretty much do whatever you want. Just don't mess up the rest of your week's training and <laughs> no, yeah, it's, go but the, for it. The thing is like, what does the rest of the week's training look like? Exactly. And I'm sure any Rob does session things, could look ridiculous. I'm sure Rob yeah. says, does things in his programs. This is like, ah, just go have fun, you know, like for, for a little bit with is the pro true, guys Rob? or the young guys. Sometimes. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, any any one training session can definitely look ridiculous. You exactly. have to zoom out and see the context of like, what is this happening in? Are we doing a sand workout because we just need to change up the pace, get re- refreshed? I also get just outside. need a new Instagram post, so I might do a, a post new Instagram that. post. <laughs> More likes. So Rob Positive is putting the eyewash out there too. Yeah, I'm not. Nah, sometimes. <laughs> Since we're on it, what is one thing that you do in your programming? Oh, I love this question. That people wouldn't know like that people wouldn't think that you did oh, i don't like this question as much okay <laughs> um <laughs> no it's like, a great question one thing that, <laughs> so, oh, so like if you're not in training like what's one thing okay. yeah what's one you. thing that would be like oh wow i can't believe rob actually does that with his baseball players i never would have thought he did that with his baseball Barbell players. bench press um i would probably, that's a good question um like I, I thought of it because I see the spike ball net up there, and I see guys messing around with yeah, the spike ball. Yeah, we do all spike ball. We do like, spike ball. Judging his spike ball. I like spike ball. It's <laughs> fun. Jealous. It's a good warm up he, he wishes the spike ball was on a beach. I'm still waiting for Max to hit the cages with me one day. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that's a good question. I don't really know how to like answer that. Like, because um, like I think what I do is like I'm not I think I'm doing anything outlandish. Yeah. At the same time, like. We're gonna do push-ups. We're gonna do rows. We're gonna squat. We're gonna deadlift. We're gonna lunge. Um, we're gonna do some arm care. Uh, so I think, like, you know, uh, I think I don't really have an answer for it. I though. think sometimes when you try to be new and innovative and yeah. different from all the other, you know, um, high-performance trainers in the area, like mm-hmm. that's when you get into some right. of the eyewash stuff and you right. lose some of these main qualities. Yeah, like I'm definitely, you know, doing a lot of basic exercises. Yeah. You know. Is there anything, this is what I thought you were going to ask, and this is a question that... That's the crappy question. question. No, your question is... (laughs) Now for the real question. No, uh, your question was was excellent, Tyler. I just thought you were going to ask if there was anything that you do in your, as a coach, that you know that there is no evidence to support that you still do anyways, or anything that you know is like, I'm literally only doing this because I like it. But I don't actually have a very strong reason, but I still believe it works, and I still want to do it. Um, I'm going to probably say... <laughs> Every athlete who listens to this is going to look at the program no, and I, see I, the barbell I mean, bench press. So here's go, the thing. This, this is, is the biggest useless. one. No, I think like, like doing arm exercises. Like, you know, do, some guys will do arm exercises. Like, is there any research to support that doing or not doing arm exercises is bad or advantageous for your baseball performance? No. Look good, feel good, play good. I mean, I like, I like that, but again, there's <laughs> no literature to support so that do you doing bicep curls and tricep push downs is negative or beneficial to your performance. Do you program those? Occasionally to make guys happy. <laughs> and that's, that's a big part of... I mean, hey, like, again, like, if someone reason. comes in and they're skinny, like their arms are skinny too sometimes. So, you know, you got to hit the arms. <laughs> so you're, you're biasing your arm programming towards the individuals who slightly you look, you perceive look. Slightly. You program a lot of arms for me. What are you that trying you to say do. here? <laughs> I mean, you told me you want big arms. So you get, you are you the arm first person to cultivate an arm farm? No, that's been done way before me. Okay. No, and I'm not that old, but I'm old, but. <laughs> But yeah, no. Again, like a lot of guys, they enjoy doing arm exercises. Like again, like I would argue from are a there PT certain standpoint, ones? those there probably have some some value just in improving like general upper extremity resilience, like load tolerance. If you're going to be 
throwing tons of newtons of force. Even right. your push pulls, like the buys and tries, are doing some of that pushing and pulling. Absolutely, pull. absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, am I giving everyone like, you know, and what I would consider like maybe not this best or advantageous tricep exercise? No, like we're gonna do like the most basic, safest tricep exercise you can get. Like we're not, not doing like overhead skull crusher. Yeah, like overhead barbell, easy bar, loaded eccentric skull crushers. You know, not not doing that. I might hit that in my programming, but like I'm not giving my my pro player that makes a million dollars skull crushers. Um, you know, so it's just like you gotta have good reasons for doing things, and you know, a, a, a tricep push down is a little bit easier to do and perform and safer, in my opinion. You do yeah. have Troy's arms pumping right now. I would say that I've been, I've been doing Troy's programs. You know that I've been up there. And I hang with him the whole time. The whole time. <laughs> oh, hey, and go. then we get the arms. <laughs> and he starts doing some curls, and that's it. I got to drop the weight. Say goodnight. <laughs> Isn't arms the whole time? What's you that? said you, you're up there, and then you get to arms. Didn't you get to arms <laughs> when you got up there? <laughs> Well, we get to more isolated bicep tricep work. <laughs> Rob, Rob we get to not, the, the isolated arms after the functional arms. After the, yes. Rob may not have created the first arm farm, but he grew the best arm farm. That's it, true. Yeah. I'll take that. That's the He's best spot. Selling Troy's. Triceps. Yeah, triceps. Triceps one, two, and three out now. You could put, put that up. I mean, it should $30. Be out. If people want to reach out to you, Rob, where can they get in touch with you or find you? Um, Instagram, usually pretty pretty active on there. Um, just double check my handle. Um, <laughs> Rob Urbina3. That's so easy. Easy, right? Rob Urbina3. Just shoot me the DM. <laughs> I want to meet Rob Rubino one and two. Yeah, I know. Did you try those, you think? I didn't. Three is just always my favorite number. Hmm. So, yeah. Three is a popular number. Yeah. Tyler? Uh, you can reach me at tylerboy.sbt on Instagram. Troy.cuck.dpt. And uh, maxlepage.dpt. And if you guys have any questions about anything or you're interested in our new course at Rehab Integrated and Sports Education, reach out to me at max at precisionperformancept.com. And we will talk to you guys in the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Training Room Talk podcast. We hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab. If you don't know where to go from here, please reach out to us with questions. We have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness. We look forward to speaking with you and again, hope you enjoyed today's discussion.